The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. One of the gifts that I often get besides jerseys, and I don't know what it is about, about I, I, I think it, it might be something extra for pastors, but I feel like gifts that I commonly get are books and journals. Okay, in fact, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually bought a journal for myself. As a pastor, it is just something that, that you get. And so I, I get journals, but here's, here's the problem with journals. I was, I was going through some of these things, and this was, this is called an action journal. It's one that I got from one of my bosses several years ago. And as I look at it, it probably has, I don't know, 200 pages. And it, it, where the dates start and where they finish, it has dates over the course of four different years. Okay. I didn't, I wasn't the most efficient user of this action journal. Uh, I was grateful. I, I was so excited that I was able to find a, a journal that I actually finished. Okay. Thank you very much. And then this one, this one really symbolizes my life as a journaler. Um, it's this beautiful journal. It's, it's cool looking. The idea of me sitting in a coffee shop with a nice warm cup, you know, with my Bible journaling, man, I love that idea. It's, a, it's a, like, it is an image of myself that I like, okay? And honestly, even as I read this entry from the 5th of January, 2003, okay, I was, I was really excited about what I read there. Like, journaling? Turns out it's a pretty good thing. I was reading this. I almost, I, I kind of got choked up. I was like, man, I, I prayed for that. That's awesome. And even I could see that, that there were, there were things in here that I was reflecting on that were really good. And then look at the back of it. See how much I wrote? Yeah, that's my life as a journaler. Now, there is something for me that when I get a new journal, I don't know what it is. It can be really hard for me to, to get it started. For whatever reason, you get something like this is, this is like a piece of art in and of itself. And part of me doesn't want to ruin this beautiful book, this journal. There's part of me that thinks, man, as I start putting my script in here, I'm somehow defiling what this is. Sometimes I just don't want to face whatever it is that's on my heart or mind that I might reflect on. And I bring this up because as I get these, these incredible gifts that people give to me, these journals, they are really fantastic gifts. Too often, it, I, I really feel like it parallels part of my journey with the Christian faith in that I have this, this really profound and, and this, this gift that I am eager to receive, but then I put it down. I don't necessarily engage it for all that it's worth. In these gifts that I give, there is more to it. There's more potential than I tend to get out of them. And too often, that's the way that I 
And my hunch is that I'm not alone, live our life of faith. That we've been given this amazing gift. And too often it's something that, that we kind of push to the side. We come to it here and there. Maybe we start it, but then leave it with, so to speak, a bunch of empty pages. So often when I talk with college students, and so often, and my guess is that if I were to look at more of the pages of what I did write in these journals, what I crave is for my faith, for my, my relationship with Jesus to be more real than how I normally experience it. I want it to be more real to me. And so what we're going to start looking at here in 2017 is really to go on a, on a journey of asking, how can I make this great gift that I have been given in Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for me and in, in this gift of the Holy Spirit, how might this become more real to me? My, my hope is that this is, that what we're going to do over the next several weeks is for anyone who has ever prayed and feel like as you're praying, you are talking to a wall, wondering if it's real. That maybe you became a Christian at a camp and there was that high and you came off, off that high and said, what does this really mean for my life anyway? For those that walk out of a worship service and go, that was, that was great, but now what? How is this real in what I'm doing when I wake up in the morning, when I go to class, when I go to work, when I do my homework, when I go to bed at night? This is a series for anyone who has sung some of the amazing lyrics that our band led us in earlier and find yourself going, man, I want that to be true for me. But if I'm to be honest, it's not. My hope is that we might be on a journey together over the next month and change on what it looks like that our faith might be something that becomes just a little more real. Can we do that together? Thumbs up if you're with me. All right, I see a lot of thumbs, so we're going to keep going here. Uh, to guide us into this, we're going to look at Romans 12. And this will be a relief for you that, that maybe you're still recovering from a late night on New Year's. Uh, we're only going to look at two, two verses tonight to get us started. And uh, so let me, let me read it for you. I'll read this whole thing. And then uh, because we're only doing two verses, I want to highlight uh, a few of the words that pop up uh, throughout this, this text. Uh, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, let's take a look at at what this says, at how this invites us to a faith that is real. And my hope is over the quarter, we're going to get into some practical things. It might not be as practical tonight, but I think it sets the table for it. So this first word, therefore, 
Some of you that have done, maybe been a part of Sunday school or have done a campaigners group or some sort of Bible study in the past have heard this phrase before that anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Okay, what, what does this mean? And here's what I, here's what I want to, and, and it is a very good, uh, good principle for when you're reading the Bible, that anytime you see this word therefore, it means there's something that, that that came in front of this that is really important for you to know. Now, I want to summarize, I'm going to attempt to summarize the first 11 chapters of Romans or so really quickly, okay? So how would I do that? Therefore, so in light of everything that's been spoken, what has Paul said that he really wants people to know? I'm going to boil it down to this. It means that you belong. It means that you're in. It means that if you are wondering, does God approve of me? If you are wondering, does Jesus love me? What this therefore right there is saying is, yes, God loves you. Jesus loves you. You're in. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you, if you grew up in the faith or not. It means that all of you has been rescued. All of you has been, has been saved. Your public self and your private self. Your righteous self and your broken self. The things you're proud of, the things that you're not. All of you has been rescued. You belong. You are in. So in light of this, this grace that God has shown you and those around you, and a huge part of what has been said here is addressing the question, now who's in and who's out? What do I have to do to receive salvation? And essentially, Paul has said, look, we all are in need of rescue. And by God's great mercy that showed up in this person, Jesus, on the cross, that's how I know that you are all in. So in light of that, what does it mean? So this therefore is a bit of a hinge. It's saying you, you are now in this room where you, you have, you have somehow, let's, let's say it this way, put on this sense of belonging. And now this therefore is the hinge that, that swings a door open to something new goes on, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in, in view of God's mercy. Okay, now I might simply translate that as because of who God is. God is merciful. And God has been merciful to you. Um, that in, in light of this truth, what does that mean? Now, this word urge is one that I first started studying this, caught my attention. There's, there, there is, it's an imperative that there's passion behind it. You see, Paul wants something for this young community of believers. And I think what he wants for them is what he wants for us. He's saying, I want something for you. I desperately want something for you. Have you ever wanted something for someone else where there was something in you that just deeply desired for something, something good for someone else? 
You know, I'll start my tried example with back back with my sons and their and their jerseys. I mean, for Christmas, my eight-year-old and my five-year-old, the top of both their list was one of those bright green Seahawks color rush jerseys. They're kind of nasty looking. And honestly, they're probably gonna sell a million of them, right? But they these boys wanted that in. And there was something in me as I saw there how fired up that, that they get about this stuff that I wanted that for them. Okay. Perhaps you've, you've experienced it like that. Perhaps there's, there's an experience uh, that you wanted for somebody. Maybe you have been on, uh, on, on a trip someplace. You've studied abroad and you hear about a friend who's, who's thinking about the same thing and you go, Oh, I want that for you. I want you to have the same type of experience that I had that was so meaningful and so formative. No doubt, one of the great desires I have experienced in my life, in fact, I was reminded of it at the beginning of this journal, was praying for my grandparents as as their health began to fail. I wanted them so desperately to be healed. When we see that video of uh, the severely ill children in Side by Side, don't you have this sense of, oh my gosh, I I want something different for them and their families. That's the type of desire I believe that Paul is is leaning into here when he says, I urge you in light of, of God's mercy because of who God is for there to be something different for you. For there to be a new type of life that you live. Now, if, if this therefore is the hinge and there's this door, let's go with me here for a second. Let's think about it like this. That, that before the therefore, think about this, this room that you are in, let's just say individually, like a dressing room, where you are, are made, where you are made whole. You are made right. You are clothed and equipped with everything that you need to then go out and, and do something. Uh, in this case, I, I, let me take a, an image from a book that I read over the break where it was, it was a book by another pastor who, who talked about uh, owning a Harley Davidson. And he was, he, so he owned this big motorbike and it was a dream of his to be able to hop on this bike and, and go and cruise, uh, cruise highways and go to Harley bars and meet interesting people and, and, and do all this cool stuff. And sure enough, he got this Harley and most of the time the Harley just sat in the garage. He didn't get the opportunity to go and feel the wind on his face, to go and feel the, the powerful machine that that is, um, to be on and to go someplace. That, that what Paul is inviting us to is to be in this room and to be equipped with everything we need to then step out, to go through this hinge, to go through this door, and to go and, and in a sense, discover the power of this gift that we've been given. This is sort of Harley that is the Christian faith that too often just remains in the garage. And he continues by saying, um, in view of God's mercy now, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Now, sacrifice. Most of the context that, that we talk about sacrifice in in our culture 
least the way that I hear it most of the time, has to do with two holidays that, that we celebrate throughout the year. Uh, one in May that is Memorial Day, where we celebrate the sacrifice of veterans who have died in war. And of course, the other one is Veterans Day, where we celebrate the sacrifice of those veterans who are with us, who, who have not yet passed, who survived their willingness to sacrifice. Of course, sacrifice is, is offering one's self, uh, in, in essence, uh, for nothing in return. You are, you are sacrificing yourself for something else, nothing in return for yourself. Um, let me talk a little bit here about what, what sacrifice would have meant in, in Old Testament uh, theology and culture, because it's a whole bunch different than how we understand it now. You see, in, in, if we were to go back into the Old Testament, sacrifice would have been something that is at the center of their worship. And what did it entail? It entailed bringing an animal, a first, one, one of the firstborn, one of the, the best of, of, say, a group of sheep, usually the firstborn that you have raised. And first you had to bring the offering, and then the, the animal was then slaughtered, was killed, usually um, cut in half, and then emptied. And not only did you bring this offering that, that was important, did you have to bring a proper offering, it then had to be dealt with proper, properly in order for the sacrifice to be efficacious, to be good. And the reason that people brought sacrifices as part of worship was reconciliation, there were really two reasons. Reconciliation as a sacrifice of, a, of atonement, to be at one with God, to have their oneness with God restored, or celebration, to celebrate what God has, had given them and to return what they had been given as a gift to God. Sacrifice, it involved killing. Now, this is, this is really important what I want you to hear tonight because I think it's the key invitation that we receive. What this is inviting us to, what I think it was inviting these, these first century Romans to, was Paul, in essence, flipping this and saying, I'm not about things dying. What I want is you as a living sacrifice. I don't just want your faith when you feel like it. I don't just want your heart. I don't just want your mind. I don't just want your talents. When he says, offer your bodies, the implication is, I want the whole thing. Now notice this. I want the whole thing and I want it to live. This is not a sacrifice of death. This is a sacrifice of life. Instead of being emptied out, we are to be filled up. Now, this is important as we move on to the, the, next, the next part of our verse as well. When we, when we hear these words about not conforming to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you see, if, if worship is to be what we do with our whole lives, with our whole lives, not just what we do when we come and meet like this on a Tuesday night, okay? This is an aside. 
And I'm going to start this aside by saying, we have an awesome worship band. And they, I, I love listening to them. They make me dance. There's times when I'll just sit back and listen to them. In fact, can we just give the worship team a shout out? Okay. They're awesome. But, you know, and I know that for a lot of people, pet peeves are people who have pet peeves. But I'll, I'll share this, that one of my pet peeves is when we reduce worship to merely singing songs. It is, it is misleading. Worship is what we do with our entire lives. And I would argue that worship is what we do with our, our entire lives, whether we're thinking about it or not. I would, I would assert that you actually become what you worship. Now, for some of you, you might be sitting here, and that sounds like really, really good news. For some of you, that might sound like, oh, wow, what am I becoming? What are you worshiping? What are you doing when nobody else is watching? Because that's worship too. You are becoming whatever you're doing in those moments. I want us to have a big idea of what it means to worship with our lives. Now, what we're invited here to in this, this final clause about not conforming to the patterns of the world and being transformed by the renewing of our minds, this is not a sense of emptying ourselves to the culture, of passively accepting, oh, this is how my culture does it, so this just must be how it is. The word that we might throw on that is apathy. Okay, it is not passively emptying ourselves. Now this, I want to point this out, that for too long, and honestly, for really good reasons, Christians and, and the Christian church have been criticized for being a group of, uh, for often being a group of people that too quickly empties their minds. It's how things like the Crusades happen, how senseless violence and, and uh, genocide can happen, so to speak, in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. It's why there can be this perceived hostility between people who follow Jesus and science. I actually think Paul is inviting us to something very, very different. When he's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, I think he's actually saying, be filled up. If our lives are to be an act of worship, and over the course of the quarter, we are going to see how, it's a life of, how it is a life of worship by demonstrating mercy, by living into grace and sharing the gifts that we have been given, we're going to get into more practical um, examples of this by observing what happens when we step in as the hands and feet of God in view of God's mercy. What happens when we respond to God's mercy? I believe that we begin to observe the world differently and it fills, it fills up our minds. It fills up our hearts. Being a Christian is not about emptying your mind and becoming subject to a cult leader. <laughs> being a Christian, following Jesus, means being transformed and stepping into situations where we observed and have our hearts and minds filled up and renewed and transformed. That's what it means. 
Now, why do we do this? Why is there such an urgency around offer your whole being, your bodies as a living sacrifice? Well, one is this, that the world needs it. If we are going to see changes in our world, to the changes that we desperately long to see, it's going to require us stepping in, in view of God's mercy, to be agents of that mercy, of that grace. You know, one of the ways that I can be apathetic, we recently had some friends in town and we're cruising through downtown Seattle and off to the right side of the car, you see one of these, these tent cities that's kind of jammed up against the side of the freeway and they say, you know, oh, you know, oh, what's that? And I say, oh, that's a homeless encampment, you know, in the same way that I would say, oh, that's another Starbucks. You see, there's an apathy there. What does it mean for us to have our minds transformed and to be disturbed by the fact that there are people sleeping out there when it's 29 degrees outside? That's what it means to be transformed. And see, what happens is not only does the world need it, this is where it comes back to us. You need it. You need it to know that this whole Jesus life, this Jesus thing matters. I believe it's the life that you want to live. You want to know that this matters more than just when we sing great songs here at the end. You you want it to matter more than just going to church on a Sunday. You want to know how this thing matters with your entire lives. See, what I'm saying is this. When we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, it's not to earn salvation. That's already been earned for us by Jesus Christ and him crucified on the cross. It's already taken care of. You don't do it to earn it. The reason that we go and do is for us to discover that this is real. And this matters. It matters for you. And it matters for a world in need. So can we be people that, so to speak, write in the journal of our faith? That take those books that we theoretically want to read and actually read them that we might discover this incredible power that is given to us in this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that says you have been rescued and it's real. Let's be on that journey together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have saved our lives and that you invite us to something more real than we can imagine. And we do pray that over the, the course of this quarter, Uh, and in our times here on Tuesday nights, and I want to pray even more so for our times away from here. God, would you make yourself real to us? Would you make yourself real to others through us? God, we came tonight because we want to know you more. We want to know the reality of your gospel for us and for the world. And so we ask that you'd help us out. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.